God with me tonight, John chapter 14. Um, I ask that you would pray uh, for the nation of Israel. Amen. There's a very simple truth behind all that is happening. Pastor Mitchell uh, had precisely preached a sermon that I remember very vividly until today. Israel is God's clock. Whatever happens in Israel is going to affect the entire nation, whether we like it or we don't. And so you can see that we're living in a time today where there are more voices condemning the nation of Israel. I declare to you that the book of Zechariah gives us a prophecy that there is coming a time where every nation will turn against Israel. And when that happens, it is the end. And so we are living very close to that time. If you see uh, all that has happened, 2014, here we are in 2021, I declare to you, church, if anything is true, Jesus is going to come and redeem His people. Uh, this is not going to be an ongoing onslaught. Uh, I think it's a matter of years. We see this unfolding. And I say to you tonight that by looking at Israel, you know that Jesus is coming home very very soon and so i challenge you and i encourage you to stand with the nation again this is a very uh, sensitive subject uh, but if you just read facts this is the problem today uh, we have too much information that people don't know what is truth and what is lies i come from a generation where i'm very tech savvy so when someone puts something up on the internet I know how to find out the legitimacy of that information. There is a way to verify how true that information is. There is methods. You can see things very clearly. You can identify. There are certain news sources. And the problem today is too many people are using the internet without uh, the proper literacy and knowledge of it and therefore they listen they read they buy into everything they listen to but i stand my ground and i declare to you that israel is not wrong israel is god's nation and god will protect its nation no matter what think about it from 1948 until today every arab nation has been in attack mode towards israel this small nation and if you just look at it what has kept Israel striving and moving forward until today if it's not the protection of God? And so I declare to you, you look around you, you understand the voices in our nation, you understand all that's going on. Uh, uh, we, we, we see it, we know what is true, and I hope that you would lift up Israel. Pray for Yen. Uh, she, uh, her cousin passed away today uh, due to COVID, uh, battled in the hospital in Kepong uh, for a while, uh, uh, Parkinson's and various different, you know, unexpected un, um, conditions and uh, passed away, stepped into eternity today. And so just keep them in prayer uh, during this time. Amen. Let's go into the Word of God, John chapter 14. And I'll also go on record tonight, uh, the sermon I'm about to preach is not my own. 
um, I, I, have to, um, I have to attribute this message uh, to the two young men that sat with me yesterday morning, uh, Isaac and Siva. Uh, most of these thoughts came out from that conversation, uh, and so I built an entire sermon from their thoughts, and uh, I'm preaching it to you tonight. So GPS tonight. Uh, a GPS, we know that it's a geo-processing uh, system, a positioning system. Uh, is a location service that provides a step-by-step -step guide to enable us to get to our destination. We know when you click into Waze or Google Maps and you put in a specific destination, it gives you a step-by-step -step guide to get to that place. And as you begin to think about this technology before us today, uh, many years ago, this was new, this was unfamiliar, but today, everyone has got GPS on their phones, everyone has got GPS uh, somewhere uh, uh, in their car, or even, you know, um, you look at various monitoring systems, and it's so advanced, you can go uh, even to Google today, type out an address, and you can literally stay, you can be in Malaysia, and look at Chandler Church from the outside, um, sometimes even even live on what's happening. The technology is so advanced. Things have, you know, moved on so far ahead. But as you think about this, Jesus, beloved, gives us the understanding that He is the way. The Bible describes this to us in the passage we're going to read. And one of the most least understood passages in the Bible that we're going to read tonight challenges us to examine our faith. As an address to believers in this passage, Jesus speaks to his followers about the kingdom to come and how will one make it. How do we go to heaven? How do we make heaven our home? And so these young men sat with me yesterday morning, gave me their thoughts, and so the credit goes to them for the sermon. But I, did, I want you to look at John 14, 1 through 6 with me as we dissect this passage together. In John 14, 1 through 6, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Do we have no one at the back there to put the scriptures up? <laughs> Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we were sitting down yesterday, and, I, I, and, and in conversation, I asked Isaac, uh, what he had been reading from the book of John, and, I, and he said, I have a question from John 14, 6. What does Jesus mean by I am the way, the truth, and the life? And we begin to dissect that thought. We begin to 
go deeper into that subject. And as we consider this together tonight, Jesus describes in our passage a very, very uh, narrow-minded uh, 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 message, or, or can we say a very short, uh, sorry, a very narrow-minded message, I can't think of a better word, that he says to you and I, I am the way. Now, this correlates with the conviction of every believer that you and I are called to be followers after Jesus. In other words, when you read this passage, you understand that it clearly describes to us a very uh, a, a distinct feature that describes what most people will say bigoted, a very legalistic command, a very um, you know, outrageous command, a very prideful or arrogant command. Who are you to say, I am the way? Amen. Who are you to declare, I am the way? And when we think about this, we realize that it is a call, a call for every believer to follow after Jesus. Matthew 7.13, the Bible says, Enter by the gate, the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. So Jesus gives us insight that it requires the narrow gate. It is the narrow gate that leads to life. But as clear as this is, as outright as this is, Scripture is so clear to us that it is going to be a narrow gate. But even though it is clearly depicted here, yet many seem to be deceived at following the crowd. And this is what we want to aim at looking at because first and foremost, Jesus says, I am the way. What does that mean? You see, it's one of the least understood scriptures in the Bible. Christians quote it every time. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. What does it mean? How do we break that down? How do we look at Jesus being our way? Jesus says He is the way. He is the gateway to heaven. And while you're on the way, as narrow and as small as it may seem, Jesus is referring to this being the only way to heaven. No other way. No one else can take you to heaven. No other side. Can I be very straight up with you tonight? No Buddhists, no Muslims, no Punjabis, no uh, 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 you know, uh, Hinduism. No, Th those are ways of life, man-made religion. Jesus is telling us tonight, this is what sets Christian. Oh, that's so offensive. Yes, Christianity will offend people. You may not like it, but Jesus is very clear to us. He is the way. It's un you, you cannot argue with Jesus. You can argue with me all you want, but you can't fight Jesus. So we find here that Jesus is referring to this bigoted statement that most people will qualify and say it's so 
outrageous of him to say that, but he's saying, I am the way to heaven. So, if heaven is your destination, then Jesus is the only way. If you want karma, you can go any other way. You want hell, you can go any other way. But narrow is the gate. This is the passage that reveals power. And oftentimes, Christians like to misquote this. You know Christians like these kind of scriptures in the Bible. You know that song, that famous song that came out, Blessing? And everybody sings that song? I don't have a problem with people singing that, to be honest. I just hope people understand that blessing comes with obedience. But people sing it, oh, blessing. Or people will sing, you know, to these, and, and, and people will quote the scripture, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. So this job is God's way for me. No, don't use that in vain. Oh, this is the way that God has opened for me. No, don't use that in vain. What Jesus is talking about in this passage is a way to heaven. Point blank. Nothing else. Not to accomplish something in this world. Not to achieve something in this world. Jesus is very, very, very clear here. When he speaks of the way, he's speaking about the way only concerning one subject matter. And that is heaven. Eternity. And on the way, just like these men begin to share like yesterday, there is a term that we often hear, I'm on the way. Right? So when someone is running late, you call them, where are you? I'm on the way. Right? And, and oftentimes, they are on the way means on the way. No, no specific timeline. No, you know, uh, um, you know, they can come from Ipoh, they're still on the way. They can come from Kedah, they're still on the way. They can come from Penang, they're still on the way. So, you know, on the way doesn't mean a certain fixed amount of time, you know. Like, like I heard someone say in Sri Lanka, they, they like to always use, give me five minutes, just, just five minutes, five minutes, five minutes. And then the guy will go off. By the time he comes back, it takes four hours to come back. He says, you said five minutes. He said, I came back, isn't it? <laughs> just, just, India is a bit different. At Sri Lanka is five minutes. India, just two minutes, two minutes, just two minutes. <laughs> and, and when they're gone, they're gone. You know, you don't see them again. So on the way is a very subjective term. And we're on the way. How many know when you're on the road to somewhere? You can be traveling down uh, to KLCC and on that journey, uh, there can be things that will slow you down. Accidents, there can be bad weather, there can be, you know, uh, traffic lights you will have to pass through. Uh, and all of this will indeed uh, be slow, it will slow you down and there will always be a great temptation, like Isaac said, to take a shortcut. Yeah. Divert somewhere else. Move to a different direction. Because I cannot wait anymore. 
I cannot go down this road any longer. It's taking too long. And this temptation, which reflects to you and I the same correlation of trials and hardship. We go through financial hardships. We go through problems in marriages. We go through problems in, 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 in relationships, in ministry. And the list can go on and on. There are problems. But listen to me very carefully tonight. I'm very simple message. You cannot get out of the way. You have to follow Jesus. He is the only way to heaven. Whether we like it or we don't, whether we agree with that or not, it's either we accept that today or one day like the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Point is, as tempting as it may seem to take other routes, it will not lead you to your destination. Jesus said in John 10 verses 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Romans 5 verses 2, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So when we talk about Jesus describing to you and I, Thomas questioned him in verses 5, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus in verses 4, and where I go you know, and the way you know. What does that mean, Jesus? They don't, they, Thomas is coming out openly to say, I don't know the way. Which way should I go? What are you talking about, Jesus? What way are you referring to? This doesn't seem to make sense at all, Jesus. You're saying that, you know, I know the way, but I don't know the way. And what does Jesus say? I am the way. Can I tell you tonight, if you follow Jesus, you're on the right way to heaven. Point blank. That's it. That's what Jesus is simply revealing to us in this text. See, the world wants to remove Jesus. Can I tell you, the world we're living in is a world filled with anti-Semitism. It's an anti-Jewish culture. They hate Jesus. Jesus is a Jew. They will do anything. Satan will do anything to remove Jesus from our lives. And that's why the temptation is always great. It's always great where we come to a place where we are tempted to take a different route, a different way. But I declare to you, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you do what Jesus tells you to do, you are on the right way tonight. Secondly, Jesus says, I am the truth. What does truth mean? You know, I used an analogy with them yesterday and I spoke about going to a doctor. And when you enter this treatment clinic, you go into a doctor, the doctor will look at your condition and it will be very disheartening. 
If the doctor told you, you know what, there's nothing for you to be alarmed about. Don't worry about it. Nothing is wrong here. Nothing is going. Nothing is happening. Nothing is, uh, nothing to worry about. But the actual results suggest that you are at stage 4 cancer. Or you have a tumour. Or you have something that, you know, is not going to allow you to live for very long anymore. And in those moments of time, the doctor, you know, instead of telling you the truth, the doctor tries to pacify you and say, you know what, nothing to worry about. Don't worry, everything is going to be okay. You are going to walk out of here and everything is going to be okay. You just go home and you know, have a great time with your family. You don't have to take any medication. You don't have to pay attention to this. It is nothing for you to be worried about. And when the diagnosis seems to be not good, but yet he tries to paint a picture like it's good, can I tell you, that's a lie. Anything besides the truth is a lie. As long as you are not willing to speak the truth. See, this is the generation we're living in, right? This is the generation that fabricates everything. This is the generation that can make anything. This is a generation that can fake a document. Someone was just sharing with me the other day. Don't worry. If they don't want to stay in the property, I can fake an SNP. I'll just get someone to sign it. I'll put, it, put names in there, details in there, and tell them, look, someone bought the property, kick them out. People are ruthless. People are wicked. People are, they, they don't care about truth anymore. They will fake anything today. Okay? My signatures are all digital now. You can't even tell. When I send my gold sheet to Pastor Allen every month, I don't even physically sign it. I have a, I have a note so I can obviously sign the document, but it's digital. Anyone can make your signature. Anyone can copy it. We're living in the 21st century. Everything can be made up. And this is what Jesus is saying. Truth is objective. It may seem offensive, it may seem like a bitter pill to swallow, but if Jesus is the only way to heaven, then Christians shouldn't be afraid of truth. Christians need to be bold to believe that. That Jesus speaks truth. He always tells the truth. Jesus speaks truth to redeem the condemned. He doesn't speak the truth to condemn someone. He speaks the truth for what? To redeem them. But people don't like that. So they run from Jesus. But the way to heaven is very simply, truth needs to be spoken to keep you on the right path to heaven. If truth is removed... You see, this is what people believe today. So you go to a church, the Bible says Jesus is the way. So they proclaim Jesus is the way, Jesus is the way. But they take truth out of the equation. See, it takes three ingredients to get to heaven. He's the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. So now you can say, oh, I believe in Jesus, He is the way. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. But you don't want to believe truth. You're not confronting the lies. You're not confronting the cheating that you're doing. You're not confronting the deception you're involved in. You're not confronting any of those things. And so therefore, the truth no longer exists tonight. And this is what Jesus is saying, I am truth. 
You can never be transparent with God when truth is absent. When truth is presented, listen to me carefully, love is promoted. John 1.14, the Bible says, and the word, the word, the word, the Bible, the scripture, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Why does the devil, why does the devil do two things? One, completely distract you from reading this book. Have you pondered? Why does he take so much effort to keep you so busy that you've got no time to read? Have you wondered why does he do that? And if you do read, why does he make you so subconscious your mind is so numb, it isn't even present in the scripture. You're reading for the sake of reading. Your mind isn't even engaged in what you're reading. You're just reading, oh, okay, okay today I'm supposed to read John 18, finish, done, check. What do you get from the word? That's why I sat with these men yesterday. I'm teaching them. This is what you must do. Listen, I'm preaching from one verse of scripture, John 14, 6. And in that one and a half hour session, we dissect the entire scripture. And I'm preaching that to you tonight. Do you see how much of depth is there in the scripture how much of insight is there in scripture and what does satan do not important watch youtube go online spend time you know occupied with all uh, read the news you know get yourself occupied when will this generation wake up you see we become so complacent because somehow the devil's main agenda is one thing to remove truth because if he can take truth out from us he can take us down the wrong way yes. when truth is no longer object uh, subje uh, sorry objective when we no longer desire truth John 8.32, look at this passage. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Freedom comes from the truth. That's exactly what he attacks. We despise truth because it incriminates us. It demands reality from us. It demands that we look at ourselves as who we really are. It demands that we come with no more mask on, with no more facade, with no more outward appearance, but this is who I am. I am a mess. When truth is spoken, a verdict is demanded. There's a bitter pill that is hard to swallow. But a sweet pill that is much easier to swallow but probably give you diabetes right you you have a pill that's it the kids love the rabina sweets you buy them and you know they say oh wow it's, it's it's filled with vitamin c no 
it's got more sugar than vitamin C. They'll probably, they'll probably get diabetic. They'll probably be, you know, battling with diabetes rather than being filled with vitamin C. Because it's an easier pill to swallow. We don't like the bitter ones. We don't like the harder ones. We don't like the too big of a pill that is good for us. And Jesus, as Scripture reveals, let's bring this down, is the embodiment of truth. He presents this to us. He is truth. Which means the road to heaven requires that we don't shun away from truth. We have to call out what is fake. We have to call out what is false. We have to call out what is not right in the sight of God. We cannot sit around and, you know, sing kumbaya with the rest of the churches when all they seem to be promoting is for their own people to, you know, embrace the gospel with the absence of truth. Look at what the churches are becoming today. It's become social clubs, business marketing People are so concerned about, you know, i hooking up with you and you hooking up with me. You give me business, I give you business. What rubbish is that? The house of God is a place where truth is proclaimed. In Jesus, there is no falsehood. God confronts us tonight with truth. He doesn't confront us to condemn us. He doesn't want us to be in, you know, this, uh, uh, to come to a place where we are condemned. But He does it to lead us to repentance. Tonight, He tells us it's wrong. What we're doing is wrong. What we're saying is wrong. Our, our spirit that is no longer in tune with God, we have been distracted. The fervency of prayer has gone away. The desire for God's word has disappeared. We only show up because we're doing it formally. Can I tell you, if you want to live in La La Land, you can. But if you want to face the truth, you have to confront it and say, yes, I've lost my passion for God. I'm so distracted. I'm so consumed. Can you get it tonight? That is the agenda of Satan to take you away from truth. This generation, truth is often not based on facts, but on consensus. Go to social media now. You will read most of Malaysia condemning Israel. But who reads the truth? Who speaks the truth? One or two people? That's why there was this one lady who so wonderfully put it, she's a Muslim woman, she said it profoundly. And I'm not apologetic about saying this. In fact, uh, uh, Cheng Kuang sent me a text. He said, Pastor, we shouldn't be doing a podcast on, on, um, um, on the uh, pandemic fatigue. We should be doing one on Israel. I was like, bro, you, you, you're stirring it up, man. We get into trouble. <laughs> they start, you know, they start coming looking for us, you know. Uh, but, but, but it's true. It's, it's such a heated subject right now. But let me tell you something. Think about it. This lady says, every Arab nation, from the time I know, has constantly been in conflict. Fight, 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 nonstop. Is it hard to believe that they are the ones who started it? But nobody sees that. Why? People are blind. 
How can you not see it? That's why you see you got all these these people today. You know, uh, uh, um, you know, you talk about you talk about the business world. You know, security commissions are coming out and they're saying, you know, don't invest in companies that are not registered. Don't put money in companies that don't have a register. Don't, because they cannot provide you with any kind of collateral or any kind of document to verify they exist. But what do people do? They still do it. Facts. People are not concerned about facts anymore. You know, people say, oh, you have to look at this condition. I was just talking to another man. You know, oh, when this thing begins to happen, that thing begins to happen, you need to go to the hospital. No, they don't go. Wait. Fact is you're sick, you need to go to the doctor. People don't like facts. They don't like it. Blind. A generation that is so, so, so blind. Truth is based on what people say now. Not on the word of God anymore. Can I warn you tonight? The people who will make it to heaven are the people who trusted what God said without wavering. God, you said this, you said that. People don't study facts anymore. I think today the generations, they don't know how to study facts. They just listen to anybody and they believe what people say. They rather follow a man than follow God's word. This is so foreign today. Truth is never convenient, right? But truth will always prevail. You have to choose to believe facts, not the crowd. This is why this generation, the moment they get into trouble, the first place they always want to neglect is the house of God. You know what what troubled me so much? I'm reading Malaysia Kini. I'm reading articles concerning the SOPs and all that. And you know what people say when, when you know, they came up with the SOPs for houses of worship to open up and so on and so forth? I understand. I, I get it that, you know what, it's risky, it's dangerous, but you must see the amount of slur and condemnation towards houses of worship. Why must they open? Let them stay closed. In fact, close them all down. People are commenting. Why churches must be open? Who are they to open up? They, we don't need all these churches. We don't need the mosques. We don't need the temples. We don't need. We can do it from our own home. People are fighting to keep churches close. And when I read that, I realized here's a generation where Christians have to decide if they'll stay with the crowd. Or walk with God. When will us, when will we wake up? When someone dies? When, you, when, when somebody gets infected with cancer? See, God wakes us up. God says, don't do it. Don't do it. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. And we never listen. We never listen. We don't open our eyes. We just go, you know, like, like the Bible says, like a dog returning to his warmate. We just keep going back, going back, going back, going back. I cannot understand how we got so much knowledge yet so much stupidity in this world. The most smartest people are involved in the most corrupted nonsense today. John 6.66 Look at this passage tonight. From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked with Him no more. 
truth offended his disciples. They didn't like it. So you know what they did? Why follow Jesus? Follow the crowd. You know when Jesus left earth, you know how many people he had left behind that followed him purely with his disciples? Only 12. No, let's scratch that. 11. Not even 12. And the men were not even there on the day he was crucified. So what we're dealing with today is not foreign to what Jesus had to deal with. They walked away. They followed the crowd. Oh, this is too hard. How can you say that? But you see, beloved, if the preaching is not hard enough, people don't change. You know what people need sometimes? They need a defibrillator. You know what's a defibrillator? Siva came up with, you know, he told me, it's the thing that shocks you. Right? You, you, some people just need that. They need to get a shock. And then they'll wake up. And then they'll understand truth is, subj- is objective. As Christians that want to make it to heaven, tonight it is our duty to know the truth and discern the truth. Some are scared to follow truth, so they replace Jesus in their lives. Let's close then. Finally, Jesus promises us life. So I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Give me three minutes, four minutes, we're done. John 10.10, 10, the Bible says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. See, this refers to resurrection power. What does God intend for us to have? That we may have life and life more abundantly. This refers to resurrection power that comes from the cross. You and I as believers have life that this world cannot give us. This world can never satisfy us. That's why the greatest and the most wealthiest and the most prosperous person on the planet will still want more in their life. They're never satisfied because the void on the inside doesn't come from this world. The void can only be filled by Jesus. That's why He says, I am life. He fills that up. He gives life to what is dead. He resuscitates and breathes life into the dry bones that have already been broken. And this is what makes Christianity such a such an exciting way of living and relationship with God because it begins to revive our conscience. It revives our mind. It revives our heart. How many Christians are deadened today? They're committing sin. People are committing incest and ungodliness before them and they look and say, this is normal, la pastor. You have agreed to nonsense, sin, carnality, vulgarity, cussing and swearing, bribery, cheating and stealing. And you say it's normal. Something is wrong. Life, when Jesus comes in, He makes it brand new. And whatever you thought was wrong, was right before, now you see it 
from a very different point of view and you say, this is wrong. I shouldn't be talking like that. I shouldn't be wasting my time doing this. I shouldn't be spending too much of my time with this. I should be paying attention to the things of God. I should be paying attention to... And there's a sensitivity to your conscience. There's a sensitivity to your heart. There's a sensitivity to your mind. But you see, when, when Jesus no longer is the king of your heart, you become Solomon. What happened to Solomon? He chased after other things. He chased after the things of the world. And as he began to chase after that, eventually what he did, he began to fall into sin. And as he fell into sin, he didn't feel anything wrong about it anymore. Why? Because his conscience had been seared. No longer does he feel bad not praying. No longer does he feel bad not reading the Bible. No longer is there conviction anymore that I must do what God called me to do. No more. It's gone. It has disappeared because somehow when Jesus came in at first, his blood cleansed us. And I'm sorry to tell you if we have come to that place, where you have left your first love, as the Bible says. No longer you are sensitive to God. No longer are you responsive. Your mind, your heart, your, your, your soul has become so seared by the things of this world. You're not going to heaven. Who are you to tell me that? Scripturally, He is the way, the truth, and the life. So why would God not allow sinners into heaven? Why? Because that will simply mean, I think you need to read uh, camera, that would simply mean, that would simply mean that God is unjust, that He allows corruption, ungodliness, unrighteousness into a perfect environment. This world is a fallen nature. It doesn't matter what you say. I've read books, articles. I'm reading a book now where everyone likes to start off great. Everybody wants to deal with a problem. And you know what happened? Because human beings are involved, they themselves become corrupted. Ungodliness, unrighteousness. The only thing that keeps people right is not conscience, not moral conscience, because you can see that. You know what keeps people right? You want to trust somebody, I'll tell you what. If the person has a fear of God, yeah. you trust them. But if a person can say anything to you, that's why today, you know, I, I'm so tired, I'm so sick of people telling, you know, oh, we're going to make this, we're going to do that. We're gonna... Enough talking, lah. people are dying. Enough talking. Why, why are we just talking, 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 talking about it? It makes no difference. Who's going to do what God can do now? Only Jesus. He is the life-giving God. They need Jesus. Imagine with me how much this world has given so much emphasis to a saviour who is a person rather than Jesus. Imagine if you're drowning. And I've heard people use this illustration. You're drowning in an ocean. And someone comes up to you. And you know that if you... You, you know that deep down in your heart, there's no way you're going to make it out of this ocean. You are going to die. You, you, the water's got you. You're going to die. 
and the same and then a person comes through he begins to step out and he begins to come to you he says i will be with you i will save you and he lifts you off from the water and he takes you to safety can i tell you tonight to me to me that's jesus not a man no man can do that no one can only jesus can save and what this tells me is that every one of us needs a savior and you know how many christians treat jesus you know that tonight our life can be taken That's why I read this quote and I think it was so powerful. It says, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need is money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. Life, that defibrillator, is Jesus. It gives life to you and I. Beloved, where do you stand in this? It's so foreign today. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live." There's a wake-up call. It opens our eyes when Jesus comes in. And because of this life that God has given us, we are no longer void. We no longer need the things of the world. He's a life giver. What does that mean? It means that when you give your life to Him, He gives you purpose, destiny and direction your life is not can i tell you something tonight i don't care what people do today the politicians can do what they want to do the world leaders can do what they want to do my life is in god's hands and i'll tell you what god who is always faithful will always bring a day of justice and you know where's justice heaven not here here everything is just going to go from bad to worse heaven is where true justice really is i can preach this tonight but most people will be offended by that because everybody somehow builds their hope in this world but what does jesus say i am the way i am the truth and i am the life thomas it's me follow me i will tell you truth if you follow me you just follow me you just walk after me you just follow jesus he will speak the truth and he will give you life that tonight is where real fulfillment comes from and sadly many have not found that they're chasing after this world. You 
cannot change it, beloved. True justice is in heaven. Bow your heads tonight.